Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, this week on In The Pink, I've got the pleasure of a new sponsor. And it's F1 Experiences. Now, for anyone who doesn't know about them, you should, because they're amazing. It is the official experience, hospitality and travel program for Formula One, offering you the chance of the closest experience possible to the sport. I, for one, cannot wait for fans to be back in full force. So why not do it in style with F1 Experiences? Enjoy the best race tickets, trackside hospitality, first-class hotels and unparalleled access. You get as close as possible to all the action thanks to F1 Experiences. And as in the pink listeners, you can save 5% off your next package by using the code in the pink, all one word, and in capitals, when you book online at f1experiences.com. What are you waiting for? Hello, welcome to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham. And on this week's podcast, I'm joined by the Branson family, Richard and his two grown-up children, Holly and Sam. We talk in depth about what makes them tick as a family, how they support and learn from one another. We discuss everything from building the Virgin Empire to how Richard tried to avert the Iraq war and up to the present day, the challenges of and fight back from the pandemic, plus Richard's brief adventure into Formula One, including losing a big bet to former Lotus boss Tony Fernandez. They are remarkable people. I really hope you enjoy our chat. Please welcome Team Branson to In The Pink. Well, hello, Richard. How are you? Looking incredibly fit and healthy as ever. Thank you, Natalie. And and obviously, you always look incredibly fit and healthy. So um, (laughs) we're, we're both lucky to be well. As you know, I have already spoken to your two gorgeous children. It feels strange calling grown-ups children, but uh, Holly and Sam had a lovely chat with them both. And what I wanted to do is is paint something of a family portrait and tell the story almost and at home with the Bransons and, and get a bit of insight into what makes you tick as a family. So I'd love to start by asking you what family means to you. Family means everything, I suppose, um, ultimately. You know, I was very lucky uh, from a very young age. I, I worked from a houseboat 
and the kids were born when, when I was on the houseboat with Joan and I never went to an office. So the kids were always um, crawling around um, at my feet um, with, with whilst I was, you know, trying to sort of build the Virgin Empire. And, and, but, but, but we were an incredibly close-knit family as a result. Uh, and I think I've always been a, a, a really close-knit family. And, and I was also lucky enough to come from uh, two, two parents who loved each other a lot. And, you know, so was brought up with, with a lot of, lot, lot of love. And, that, you know, I think that, that, that made everything, you know, everything the stronger. So what are your kind of earliest memories of your childhood? How far back can you uh, recount and recall those happy times? I can remember my mum and dad were, you know, sort of struggling, you know, str- struggling to pay the bills. So, you know, we, we, I would be put on the back of a motorbike, you know, strapped, strapped in behind my, um, my mum and dad and we'd, 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 we'd travel. And of course, I lo- absolutely loved that. You know, we would go on holiday to Devon and uh, go um, bass fishing, catch the sand eels in, in, in the sand and then go bass fishing with my dad. And of course, you know, quite famously, my mum, um, You'd like to see us stand on our own two feet. So aged about six, she pushed me out of the car and told me to make my own way to Granny's house. And um, I got th- thoroughly lost. But um, but anyway, it was her, her her approach to try to make us stand on our own two feet. And I will be forever grateful um, that, um, that, that she brought us up in that way. So how on earth did you find your way to Granny's house? <laughs> Age six without a compass. Um, I got I got lost. It was in Devon. I ended up in a farmhouse. Of course, my poor mother was by then regretting her, what she what she'd done. Anyway, we got we, we I, I got I got there in the end. Of course, today she would have been arrested, or I would have been taken away <laughs> taken away from her. By the end of the holiday, she was, you know, she'd stopped off at a fast flowing river and t- told me <laughs> told me to to try to win 10 shillings and swim you learn to swim in this fast flowing river and I managed to pull it off and get the and get the 10 shillings so she was uh, she would keep pushing keep pushing there's no doubt that she was a remarkable woman it's it's sad I'm sure for you to hear her referred to in the past tense having lost her earlier this year I mean I, I guess that most mothers go through life panicking and telling their kids not to do things and getting incredibly nervous but she obviously had an inner confidence and calm about her to sort of to let you find out for yourself yeah I think that's correct and um I think that you know when it came to Polly and Sam's upbringing I, I was perhaps slightly more the the adventurous type and Joan was slightly more the the, the one who would like to keep them around for a, for a full lifetime and would, would, would say no and I think we, you know, we had a we, we had a good balance in bringing up our kids, and you know, and, and I think they've taken perhaps more more after myself when it comes to adventure uh, than Joan. I mean, Joan was was brought up in um, a Glaswegian you know, caretaker's house, so she never had the opportunity to learn to swim or play tennis, or you know, she would just play play on the street. And so our, our kids have obviously had greater opportunities and and have taken them taken them fully on. I'm quite interested to know how your approach has perhaps changed from being a parent to a grandparent. I always hear that being a grandparent is actually more fun and more liberating in a way because all the crap gets done by the parents and all the admin, all the boring stuff, and you get the fun part. Is that true? Has that been your experience? To be honest, I just thoroughly enjoyed both 
um, both experiences. I mean, with one's kids, every single year of their life gets better and better and better. It's been completely and utterly magical with both Holly and Sam. Having five grandkids, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, they're all, all under the age of five. Um, you know, we, we've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time with them. You know, I tried to persuade them to call me Grand Dude, but I failed. Um, <laughs> they were Papa, Papa it is. Of course, of course, they're, they're, they're completely and utterly adorable. Lola, Lola the, the two-year-old, you know, she's got a great sense of humour. And um, she's, she'll stick her bottom lip out and, and go, I want my mummy. <laughs> but she's just joking. And then I'll stick my bottom lip out and uh, say, I want my mummy too. <laughs> anyway, it's just, uh, it's, anyway, it's great having kids. With Holly and Sam, I would always write down wonderful comments they made uh, in my notebooks. One of, one of my favourites was when Sam was about seven. We just got, Joan and I just got married on Necker and, and some friends of ours announced they were going to get married. And he, and he turned to me and said, Daddy, they can't be getting married. They haven't had any children yet. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, yeah, so Do you know what? Uh, that reminds me of a card, that uh, a wedding card, a marriage card that I saw that said, um, getting married and not pregnant. My God, you're posh. <laughs> Oh, lovely. Helen's just given me a cup of tea. Oh, how lovely. How lovely. Little little reminder of home. Good bit of. Is it English breakfast? Of of course. Or actually, maybe Yorkshire. I I love Yorkshire tea. Lovely. So, so how do you describe Holly and Sam? Because what really struck me when I spoke to them both was how differently they approached our chats and how different they were in recounting the same memories, just in a very different way. And yet they're incredibly close and yet they're not that similar as personalities. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. I think, um, and I think they would agree. Um, And Holly is the more studious and you know she saw saw it through school and university and became a doctor and um you know became head, head girl head girl at a at a predominantly boys school uh and you know she's she she then decided that she'd love to run our foundation and she also you know loves everything about what we're doing in our in our in our companies also and uh sam uh is much more creative in an artistic sense. And, um, you know, he's set up his own little film company, which has made some really strong films on, uh, you know, on, on things that we all agree on, breaking the taboo um, you know, on um, drugs and, and, other, and other films. Um, uh, he's, he's a wonderful musician and, and actually um, is really coming into his own, you know, quite late for a musician. And, and you know, his last three or four songs were, were I think, you know, the best, you know, by far and away the strongest songs that he's ever ever written and played. And, you know, Isabella, his wife, sung, sung the last song with him. And, yeah, so there's, you know, and I think Sam has felt more strongly about not being in his father's shadow um, and, and therefore has, you know, very determinedly done his own thing. And, I mean, Holly's carved her own life it, you know she, it, it hasn't bothered her at all I think being different people sometimes means you're going to be much closer to a person I think if I made a list of how different Joan and, Joan and myself are it is dramatically different I mean, she doesn't have a lot of interest in in what I do and so on um you know but we love each other you know completely so um you know so sometimes opposites work well how would you describe Joan as a mother as a grandmother as a woman 
yeah, she's an extraordinary woman. Um, I mean, we've been together nearly 45 years and yeah, she'll put up with her husband a bit, but, um, <laughs> but, but um, being, being a mother and a grandmother is, is everything, everything for her. Yeah, she's a great friend. You know, she's got a great sense of humor, very dry sense of humor, very quick with the one-liners. So yeah, I have to be careful on occasions. But, uh, you know, but Holly and Sam have had, um, I think, from both of us, unreserved love. And um, and the grandkids, again, will get the same from their from their parents. And um, and that's all that matters in the end, is I think, that is is knowing that your parents feel that way that way towards you. So let's hear now what Holly and Sam have to say about their mum, Joan. My mum is amazing. She is our rock um, in our family. Uh, she's just kind and caring um, and she's just always been there for all of us. And, and what's great is she really is dad's rock. Like, you know, even with all the different business ideas, he runs everything by her, everything. And uh, she will say very frankly what she thinks. Um, sometimes he has to roll his eyes because so, she can be she can be sometimes a bit too honest. Um, but it's a good thing because I think he absolutely needs to be told exactly um, what she thinks. And she's 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 shrewd and intelligent and has wonderful ideas. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. Behind every strong man is a strong woman, um, and she is there for him and she has been a hundred percent there for me and my brother and now the grandkids who are the the apple of her eyes um when i walk in a room with them nowadays i don't get they don't say hello to me anymore it's all about them but uh you know so i'm slightly enough to put oh holly forgot to give you a cuddle um but um but it's so lovely just seeing how in love they are with the grandkids um and they're just the most wonderful grandparents does she kind of shy away a little bit from this from the spotlight is she prefers to sort of be in the background a bit she doesn't just shy away she hides away from the spotlight it's never been her thing she's she's always much preferred to be behind the scenes and actually i'm so thankful for her because when we were growing up um she absolutely made sure we were behind the scenes as well and i think my dad would have had us jumping off of buildings to launch airplanes and all sorts but she um she managed to prevent that from happening until we were old enough to make the decision ourselves my mum is an earth mother. She's a, a working class Glaswegian, no shit, this is how it is, um, says whatever's on her mind. Um, but, you know, through our entire life, you know, she's just been an absolute rock and stays completely out of the public. I completely protected Holly and I from being in the public eye as best she could till we were grown ups and I think that really helped us sort of find ourselves on our own feet uh, and um, you know she's she was the sort of mum that I'd have mates over for the weekend and just as we got hungry before we were like oh my god I need to go to the kitchen and make something she would come in with cro like cheese and ham sandwiches um, and uh, and you know she's she's definitely the coolest member of our family for sure um, and uh, and she's sort of a mum to everyone who comes into contact with her she's just got that 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 um that energy about her um and so you know she's 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 a wonderful uh, uh woman and, and and grateful to have her as a mum. and i think you know my dad you know certainly wouldn't have been able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish in his life so far with without her now we all know that richard branson is hands-on when it comes to business but what about family a little birdie told me that he even used to get up during the night to do night feeds when his grandchildren were newborns. 
I put that question to Holly. Oh, he did. When we were together, he would, he, him and my mum would take Etronati and he would be like, right, once they were on bottles, so um, from about six months onwards, and they, they didn't sleep early. Um, they probably should have been sleeping by then, but they didn't. And so we were broken, like looking at pictures of me and Freddie back then, we were absolutely broken. And my mum and dad would come around regularly and they would, they would take the kids at night and they would do the night feeds and they would look after them. And yeah, dad's unbelievably hands-on and he always was. So mum used to say he was one of those very, very rare men back 40 years ago who would do nappies. Um, whereas lots of other men just wouldn't do that. Whereas dad was absolutely happy to do all the nappies, night feeds, all sorts. Um, and, that, and that never changed. What were the sort of pros and cons of having a dad as successful and high profile as Richard? Um, I mean, it's hard you look at it reflectively as an adult because when you're a child that's just your life yeah. it's just the norm you know there's no big thing going on it's just your dad's famous and I mean it definitely went from being him being famous to not being able to walk down a back street in Kathmandu without someone recognizing him um but the lucky thing is my dad is incredibly well respected and he's done some really amazing things and his whole gear, even with business, has been how can he contribute to the world? And, you know, he's been such an inspiration to me in my life about how to, 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 to do and create amazing things and have influence, but do it with real integrity and, and dignity and grace. And that's really nice. So, uh, nine, you know, he's, he's, there's a difference between a celebrity and, and someone who's famous. You know, it's like a celebrity is someone who's famous for being themselves. Then there's someone who's famous for what they've done. And so anyone who's sort of approached dad has always had this enamored, just real sense of respect. So it's, it's been really lovely in that regard. Um, I, think, um, I think what it does is it puts a, a bit of a self-awareness lens more than probably what most people have. And I think that's part of my thing that I untangled is, is sort of self-consciousness, self-awareness that comes from natural shyness and preconceived perceptions of who you may be, which people have. Um, and you know, the feeling like one needs to kind of go the extra mile to be seen as who they are. And that takes up a lot of bandwidth. But actually, in, as I've sort of grown up, it's like, flog off all that crap. Like, <laughs> like, I, I, you know, and just being oneself. Um, and so, and then also, you know, there's, you know, my dad was an adventurer, he went off on balloon trips that I didn't know he was going to come back from. And it wasn't until I was a grown up that I realized how much that sort of that impacted me and and it was a wonderful thing like he's the man he is and at being an adventurer now I know why he did it and I I, I could still go on my adventures um but you know there's there was that sort of stuff too but it, but it so but equally anxiety about his safety you mean for, for a small child anxiety about his yeah. safety yeah um anxiety about his safety and just yeah whether he was going to come home I mean that was that was pretty intense <laughs> um uh, but but also equally alongside all that uh, you know real excitement and wonderful things and opportunities and travel and meeting interesting people and um but more than anything he's my dad and he's an absolutely incredible loving big-hearted warm person and I was always you know I spent a lot more time with my dad than I think a lot of people's dads did, got to spend with their dads because he worked from home and included us in everything um so yeah ups and downs and lefts and rights and bonuses and and setbacks and and and, and a wonderful enriched 
uh, enriching life. Well, we know plenty about his ability to build an empire, but what of Richard's political and diplomatic skills? Well, he set up a group called the Elders and another called the B Team. Here's what they're all about. I think the world needs a group of elders, who people who are in the last 20 years of their lives, who've um, led exemplary lives, who have high moral authority, who have enormous wisdom and, and knowledge and, and a lifetime of skills. You know, there was a time when the Iraq war was about to happen and, and America and Britain were about to invade. Uh, that I attempted to persuade Saddam Hussein to step down in order to avoid the war and go and live in Libya. And um, and he was open to doing so, but he wanted some elders to fly to Iraq um, to talk to him and then fly out with him. Um, and this was before the elders were formed. And, and I talked to Nelson Mandela and he agreed to go and then, but he wanted Kofi Annan, who was Secretary General of the United Nations, to go with him. Um, I talked to Kofi, and, and he said he would go with, with Nelson Mandela. And then, sadly, um, a, a few days before um, the trip took place, the bombing bombings of Baghdad started, and, and, and the meeting never took place. But as a result of that, um, Nelson Mandela and Grush and Michelle, his wife, and Kofi and Archbishop Tutu and Mary Robinson and um, and, and a number of other incredible people got together to form the elders, and they and they now go into conflict regions, uh, and they'll also speak out on issues like climate change and nuclear proliferation and other other issues that that um, you know that, that are really really important issues that need a group of people who are above above government but have enormous respect um, of, of um, young younger politicians who are there in power today. And then the B team was an organization that, you know, sitting, listening to the elders, we just, I just one day thought, you know, we, we a group of business leaders um, with the same sort of respect could use their entrepreneurial and business skills to, uh, to try to speak out and tackle and tackle issues, things like corruption in business, or um, again, climate change, obviously is one that the B team have worked with the elders on and you know the B team and the elders went together to the Paris talks and you know the business leaders were would go in and see Ch Chinese representatives or the Indian representatives and give the, bus the business reason why it made sense for these countries to support the Paris Accord you know arguing that you know all this money is pouring out of your country to the Middle East for oil you know if you if you create solar and if you create wind uh, the money will stay within the country and and um, and and then the elders would use the moral authority as to why they should do it, the, you know, the, the precious earth and so on. Um, together, they, they were a powerful force. Um, so business leaders like Paul Pullman, who had a tremendous reputation um, at Unilever and at Eunice and different leaders from different countries around the world. Yes, it's been, they've been good organisations to be involved with. Absolutely incredible and amazing to think how different the course of history would have been had that meeting been able to happen in the first place but no doubt they've they've changed these these sort of sliding door moments if you like and they would have changed the course of history with the meetings they did manage to stage absolutely amazing to be part of that and um looking forward is it is it an evolving organization that will just keep getting new members and 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 keep um making a difference where it matters most what yes. are your, you, mean, you must uh, have pretty uh, high hopes for what the, they can achieve. Yeah, I think um, 
they are elders and therefore elders don't last forever. So sadly, we lost Kofi and Anne last year on an elders mission to Zimbabwe. He got pneumonia and continued despite being feeling really unwell. He was replaced by Ban Ki-moon, who just stepped down as, as his successor at the United Nations. So Mary Robinson has now taken over the chair of the elders and, and she is looking out for you know, wonderful people who, who could become future elders as we, as we lose some of the current elders. We have a group of 12 elders who are, yeah, it's a remarkable people. It's, it's wonderful and fascinating to sit at their feet and, and listen to them discuss issues. Absolutely. What a privilege, what an honour. And, and, and how do you decide what goes on the agenda, if you like? Well, the elders make the decisions as to what they wish to what they wish to tackle. They will take on issues that where they think they might be able to bring some expertise to it, um, something unique. And sometimes they'll succeed and sometimes they'll fail. I mean, you know, Myanmar, the, the horrible suppression, suppression of the uprisings that took place by the generals there. You know, I'm sure that behind the scenes, the elders have been working on that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they wouldn't be. Yeah, there's the, there are more recent conflicts that have, that have just happened that I'm, I'm sure that they're involved with so if they if they feel that they can if they feel that they can bring something unique to a particular situation then they'll dive in and see whether they can help you know and then we have a group of advisors like and I'm, I'm one of those advisors who will travel with them on on trips and we've been to Darfur and we've been to um, Ethiopia and um, Zimbabwe and um, you know China and uh, Anyway, all sorts, all sorts of different countries, Iran, you know, Russia, um, and, and the elders will go and see, you know, they'll go and see people that a lot of people in the West would not, you know, would not think of seeing. So they might go and spend the weekend with, you know, President Putin or, or the Ayatollah in, in Iran. And, and so that try to get the picture from, um, from the other side. And so if a real crisis breaks out, they have a relationship and they can try to intervene to help. Well, what a power for good both the elders and the B team are. Now, we've all endured crises of varying degrees in the last year or so, and ostensibly Richard has nailed the work-life balance. I wanted to know if he had any COVID coping mechanisms that we could all benefit from. Well, I think one of the good things about the lockdown is for a lot of jobs, um, people will have realised that actually working from home uh, is better than working from an office. And hopefully, uh, good employers will allow people to do that in future years. Uh, for some jobs, it's just not possible. But for, for a lot of jobs, I think it is possible. And um, and if you work from home, which I've, I've done all my life, you can, first of all, make sure that, uh, I mean, I, I, I compare it to circles. So first of all, you, you draw a circle around yourself and you make sure that the person within that circle is fit and healthy and not drinking too much and, you know, getting, you know, getting, getting a decent balance. And, and once you know that, you know, you, 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 you're feeling strong like that, um, you can then draw a bigger circle and then around your family and your friends and your neighbours and, and then further on in life, a circle around your city. And then if you build a big company, a circle around the world. But that first circle is, is the absolute critical one. Um, and I think people have either either use lockdown to, to really get fit and healthy themselves. And, um, and if, you, if you get yourself really fit and healthy, I think you can find a few extra hours in the day, um, even though that may take a couple of hours to get yourself fit and healthy every day, um, but you'll, you'll, you'll find that, that you'll be able to achieve um, many more hours 
other useful things because of it. Some people have done it the right way. Others have let themselves go somewhat. And I suspect after lockdown, they'll have to um, think hard about getting their bodies and their, their, and their minds back and fit again. I can't overemphasize the importance of that. You know, I can work, you know, work through crises. We've had a, quite a few of those, as everybody has in the last, in the last 18 months. If, you know, if I'm fit, feeling fit and healthy and well. Uh, and of course, you know, if you have your family around, I mean, that, you know, that, that's another really important thing, I think, in, in times of crisis. So the first circle, is that just the individual in your mind or does that include the nuclear family? The first circle should just be yourself, not even your partner. Just you know, get yourself, I mean, you can, you can gently encourage your partner, but get yourself into a, a wonderful frame of mind. I'm lucky enough, I'm able to play tennis every morning and every evening. Uh, living where I live, I can go kite surfing, I pop into the gym, um, do weights and you know, do two extreme cycling sessions a, a, a week. And, and, you know, that all takes a bit of time. But, you know, when you actually, when people, when you actually work out your time, you'll find that if you weren't doing that, a lot of it may be spent vegging in front of a television set or, you know, or more time, more time on iPads or iPhones. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just a really important um, to try to find interesting ways of, of um, getting fit and healthy. Now, I'm just going to take a brief break in this Branson podcast to tell you about my friends at Camp Kerala. And that is in light of the recent news that's got us all buzzing that the British Grand Prix is going to have a capacity crowd. So exciting. For over 15 years, Camp Kerala have provided an unrivaled luxury canvas accommodation in some of nature's unique settings. To you and me, that's a posh tent in some of the coolest places on earth, from Glastonbury to the Nevada desert, and now to the centre of Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. I am talking unparalleled luxury in the exclusive inner circuit. So you can wake up trackside on the hangar straight, just metres from the action. And you can avoid all the hassle of travelling to and from the track each day, instead enjoying three days of fun and on-track action from the viewing deck of Camp Kerala. There's also live music and fantastic food. It's basically like a five-star hotel within touching distance of the British Grand Prix. I mean, it's the stuff dreams are made of. I really hope you can come and join us. To book, contact Faye, F-A-Y-E at Camp Kerala, C-A-M-P-K-E-R-A-L-A dot com. And use the code in the pink, or one word, capital letters, for a 5% discount on your booking. Great stuff. Happy days. Okay, let's get back to the Branson podcast. So according to Holly, how does her dad get it right? And how does she want to emulate that? He gets up early and he's wonderful at delegating. Um... And I think he's also just always worked from home. He's never had the commuting time and the getting from meeting to meeting time. He's always worked from a phone. Um, And I do think we've all learned that now, haven't we, with this COVID world of like working on Zoom. You do gain a lot more time back in your day when you don't have to be sitting in a car or sitting on a on a train um, bus getting to work and going from meeting to meeting. Uh, So I think that he's just been doing that for the last 50 years um and and he's always been a massive advocate for working from home flexible working um he like really believes that people can get a job done from anywhere uh, and so um and it's always worked for him okay so life after covid what do you want to see do you want to see more of this practice get rolled out uh, what kind of positives have you taken because you know everybody knows about the negatives but we want to hear 
positive advice about how we can get back cracking at life and, and make the very best of it? Okay, so I absolutely don't want to be going jumping to jumping to jumping to meetings again. Um, I think we can do so much stuff online, gives you so much more time in a day. Obviously, that's we're going to want to go and see people and do some things that are face to face, but I don't think we need to go back to the hustle and bustle that we used to have to do before. Um, I think the other really positive thing with this is that you can employ so many more different people. So there might be pre-pandemic, there might have been people that wouldn't apply to work in a central office in a company because they didn't, they were at a life stage where they didn't want to do the commute or they were caring for somebody else or, um, or they've got a disability. Whereas now so many more people can actually get jobs, get into the workforce. Um, and I think we've just got to make a really concerted effort to get more women back on, into work. And women have been really particularly affected by coronavirus, either having to go part time or quit their jobs because they can't juggle everything, or they've lost their jobs. Retail's gone. Um, you know, we've got you know so many people, um, women especially, have have lost their jobs. So we've all got to be really thinking creatively about how to get more people back into the workforce. And I'm excited about it because I think it's possible. There have been some hard times for the family. Richard lost his mother Eve at the start of 2021. Here are his thoughts on that and Sam's on losing his grandmother to COVID. Um, look, we were a very fortunate family. She lived to 96. You know, her mum lived to over 100. And her, her grandmother lived to over 100. So, you know, so we, we, we were expecting that she had a few more years in her. And I suspect she would have done. And that bodes um, well for you as well, doesn't it? Longevity um, in the family. Well, I'll, have to keep, I'll have to keep fit as well. And that, that, that all helped. And I enjoy life. So that's another, another reason for keeping fit and healthy. But, um, you know, we're a family that doesn't mourn somebody that we lose and, 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 and just celebrate their lives. I'm somebody that would not go to a crematorium or a funeral. I, I just see no point in it. I will, you know, we'll, we'll arrange a wonderful memorial, you know, get together with family and friends um, and we'll share stories. And, that, and that's the way we approach it. Um, you know, I, I think like anyone who has a family member that they love pass, it's, it's tough. Um, it's a really strange time in the world and for her to be lost to this, you know, there's so many families out there who've experienced something similar. And, um, and I suppose, it, you know, she was 96. She lived a long, full, adventurous, wonderful life and stayed as curious at 96 as she was when she was probably a teenager. And so, you know, and I got to spend a long time with her of my long part of my life, you know, so far. And, uh, and I just really grateful to have had those times and reflect back on the woman she was. And, and, um, you know, in someone's passing, you really sort of reflect back on them and the things they taught you and just got so much to be grateful for. And of course I'm sad, but, um, but, yeah, just, just, just what a woman and, and, and happy to have had us for so long. I think that's the key, isn't it? You know, we, we have all got to go one day and if you can let someone go with no regrets, then that that's incredible. What did she teach you then? What, what are your sort of abiding memories of her and, and, and perhaps actually what she passed down um, to your dad and then on to you, because it seems you definitely all do have that adventurous spirit. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I mean, there's lots of, lots of different things. I think... Um you know, having an insatiable curiosity. I think curiosity keeps you young. And she was just never, I mean, people would try and treat her like an old woman sometimes because they, she looked old and she would just have absolutely none of it. Um, and, you know, there's a few fun stories. So like, I remember we did the uh, Jamaica inaugural, which is the first flight where Virgin started flying there. And I piggybacked along for the experience. And uh, and lots of press come and there's like a couple of days where you, you you like really experience the local culture and give give them a flavor of what Jamaica was like and so we're at this party and my dad was like can you keep an eye on granny and this is when she was sort of like late 80s and I'm sitting there and I'm in, in the middle of a dinner conversation and I turn around and my granny's gone and I'm like oh god <laughs> my granny's gone I'm responsible for her where is she and I start panicking and 10 minutes later, eventually I look up onto the stage with all these Caribbean dancers and there's my granny front and center having a massive boogie. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's just so my granny, um, which is really charming. Uh, and then my wife, another time, you know, when she was in her early nineties, we were on a plane and she chatted to my wife and then she went off. My wife's like, oh, where are you going even? Uh, she says, are you going to have a nap? And my granny was like, no, 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 darling, I'm off to learn French. You know, and just just that sort of sense of nonstop learning, you know, age is just a number. So that that sort of uh, perspective is definitely something that that really um, that reminds me of her. And she said wonderful quotes like, if you if you don't do it, you haven't done it. <laughs> you know, she was a big believer in, in, in making mistakes and just do it, saying yes to things and um, and seeing what happens. On top of losing his mother to COVID, the pandemic also presented many challenges for Richard. He explains more. I mean, COVID was an extraordinary challenge for, for everybody. I mean, apart from the personal loss, obviously, you know, we launched a cruise company the, the, the week that COVID broke out 18 months ago, which was not the best timing to launch Virgin Voyages. And then our airlines have had all their planes grounded pretty well all, all the time since then. Um, because, um, you know, it's important that people are 
are fit to avoid COVID. Anyway, they've been pretty well closed all, all, all this time. Hotels have been closed. Anyway, it's been an challenging, but we're fortunately coming coming through the end of it. And at least the government have managed to get an incredible number of people vaccinated in the UK, which which uh, bodes very well for the future. Mm. What did you learn from the pandemic? We have extraordinary people, uh, both in the family and and in all our companies. They've just worked so incredibly hard to keep every single company going and as many jobs as possible saved and uh, you know i think they'll that the companies will come out will come through it and they'll, and they'll be the stronger for it uh everything in the end is down to is, is about people and um if you surround yourself with a wonderful team of people then you can enjoy the good times but also get through the bad times together many of the listeners of this podcast are crazy about formula one and obviously you enjoyed little foray into F1. Tell us about your memories of that experience. We were very superficially involved with Formula One uh, and now we're proud, proudly involved with uh, Formula E. We got very lucky when Rubens Barrett rang me one day and said that um, his team was not going to be able to participate in, in Formula One um, because uh, Honda, I think, um, yep. had, had decided not to carry on supporting them and they need they needed a certain amount of money to be able to go to australia and anyway we came up with the money uh virgin on the side of the cup rubens and jason won the first race uh and i'm afraid to say that i got so drunk that night that uh, i think i embarrassed myself but anyway it was um, it was a fun fun day and then move the clock forward a few years we were support, supporting it another car and and on this occasion we lost and um, and I'd had a friendly bet with Tony Fernandez and uh, he was going to be a, a stewardess on our our plane and if he if he lost and I was going to be a stewardess on his if, if I lost and um, anyway we lost and uh, <laughs> I was the most dashing uh, Air Asia stewardess that they've ever had on board <laughs> so you did it. actually you did actually uh, come good on the bet and you got dressed up and serve <laughs> drinks I did come I did come good on the bet I did serve drinks I did dump uh, 12 glasses of uh, orange juice on Tony Fernandez's lap <laughs> as I wasn't a very good stewardess okay so he may well be a terrible air hostess but Richard is clearly a trailblazer in most things he does always looking to implement social reform and liberal ideas well before others have even considered them it seems he's always applied this approach as a parent and a businessman. We've touched on before how kind of progressive uh, you and Joan are and were certainly as the kids were growing up. And uh, one of the things that Holly shared with us was the fact that she identified as a boy for some time. And actually your response and reaction to that was so uh, confidence boosting for her that it really mattered at a time when, uh, you know, she's just learning about herself and the world and um, your response to her made all the difference. Again, it seems as if you've always cared about diversity, opening your arms up and, and welcoming in anyone, however uh, they identify. And um, well before it was kind of at the forefront of everybody's discussion, it's, you know, it's imperative now for companies to be doing that but you were leading the way. Why did it matter so much to you? 
I think from a very young age, I um, set up a, a, an advisory center for young people who had problems. And a lot of the people that came to us were, were young gay people. You know, I was about 16 at the time. It was called the Student Advisory Center. And, you know, it became very apparent to me that uh, very quickly that, you know, people who were gay were, were born gay. You know, they had no choice in the matter. And what they needed was support and, and love. And they needed to meet other gay people. And, um, and they didn't. The last thing they needed was to be ostracized. And, and, and in those days, a lot of these kids had sort of fled from Cardiff or north of England to London um, because they were, uh, you know, they, they were in danger of being ostracized by their networks and friends. You know, so I was lucky, lucky to, you know, ex experience life to its full. I mean, you know, we, we dealt with suicidal cases. We dealt with venereal disease cases. We dealt with psychiatric cases, suicidal cases, you know, everything. So it, it was an incredible education. So when it came to bring up our own kids, you know, if, if one of our kids looked like they met being, being a girl, but maybe wanting to be a boy. Um, anyway, it was just something that we both dealt with completely naturally and, um, and obviously, you know, we're, we're lucky enough because of, I think, our experiences in life to, yeah, just give that give that person unremitting love and support. Now I look back and find it really interesting. So I, at the age of four, decided I was a boy. Um, it wasn't that I wanted to be a boy. It was that I was a boy. Um, it was just after my brother was born. And I, I don't know, looking back on it now, whether it's some sort of psychological thing that a boy was born and was getting lots of attention and I wanted to be like him or, I mean, I have, I, there's no reasoning, like obvious reasoning behind it, but um, I absolutely believed I was a boy. I stood up to pee. I dressed like a boy. I even sort of gave myself different male names. And this wasn't just a quick thing that stopped after a few months, few years. It lasted till I was nearly 11. Um, and so it was quite unusual for, you know, especially at that time, for, uh, nearly 40 years ago, um, you know, I was so lucky to have parents that were really accepting of it. And they didn't question anything. They just sort of let me be who I wanted to be. Um, uh, unconditional love, which I think as parents now we realize just how important that is. Uh, and then when I was 11, I asked my mum for a dress for Christmas. And um, and she thought, oh, I'm not going to give her um, Holly a dress. It won't be from me in case that feels like too pressurised. I'll get one of my family friends to give Holly a dress for Christmas. And they, they did. And that was the turning point. And from then on, um, I was back to being female Holly or identifying as female Holly again. I think they were just taking um, each day as it comes. And as long as I was happy, they were happy. But well, that's so uh, cool so because 30 years ago, that wasn't the way many parents would have approached it. Mm. I know exactly, but they've, they've been very relaxed. You know, they, they've been very, they've always been parents that have been very much about, you know, as long as we're happy, they're happy and unconditional love. And we still have it now. I mean, I'm so lucky to have both my parents still around now, but it is all about unconditional love for us, unconditional love for our um, their grandchildren now, who actually have taken first fiddle. For, you know, they, they, we are definitely second fiddle now. Everything, all energy goes on there. I'm sure you find the, the same with your kids. Um, but uh, it's just, you know, loving your child for who they are. And they've just done that wholeheartedly from the beginning. No pressure in any direction. It's been It's been a lovely way to be brought up. That's so that's that is really lovely. And um, what about standing up to we? You say that you learned to do it. I don't physically know how a girl does that. 
I was skillful uh, at it. I was brilliant at it. I mean, uh, you know, it was one of my party tricks, really. You know, it just it was just one of those things that I did. And my my cousins all found it. Um, you know, they all found it funny. But to me, that was the way that I did it. No, I you know, there's there's a way you can. <laughs> It's all about the angles, Natalie. <laughs> Richard has always been an advocate for inclusion and diversity, something that other global companies have played catch up on. Are you surprised that companies, I mean, because it feels like we still have a long way to go, but are you surprised that it's taken this long for them to come to the party and realise that diversity and inclusion are really the foundations for great business? Companies are basically are individuals who run them, who've come from all sorts of different backgrounds. And, you know, I think a lot of these people who run run their companies or run departments in companies, you know, they were forced to wear a tie. They were forced to wear a suit. Then they got people working for them and they're damned if they're going to, you know, why, why should these people not suffer, <laughs> suffer too? I had to suffer for years wearing a tie and a suit. You know, there's a little bit of that, I think. But I can't blame people who haven't really been out in the world and, you know, seen what's going on in the world and fully understanding things. I think, you know, that in time, people are beginning to broaden their minds and you know, treat people better. But it's not black and white that, you know, these, these the people are, are bad because they don't they don't do this. I think they, they just need to be better educated, a lot of these mm. people, into, you know, uh, in, into some of these issues. So how does Holly, as Chief Purpose and Vision Officer, see Virgin's future? I'd love Virgin to be as fully diverse and inclusive as it possibly could be. Uh, we, we, we absolutely are trying very hard already. Um, but how cool if we could look back to say that 100% of our people, in fact, they could be 100% themselves at work, that they could be themselves, they could express themselves, that we had all the right ratios of... Um, of people across from all different walks of life, um, from all different races, all different ethnicities, all different, um, you know, different LGBTQ um, orientations, whether whether people had disabilities. Like I would just love for Virgin to be that place that anybody and everybody felt comfortable to work and um, and that we had absolutely nailed that. Uh, and so I'm I'm working hard at the moment. It's a it's a difficult um, process, and it's one that we definitely have not got there yet. But I, I love the fact that there's a journey and there's there's a target at the end of it. It feels as if it's always been a collaborative process. Something that you sit round and I can imagine you as a family just having these big meals and discussing what matters to you and how to take the business forward. So so really, I mean. I, I guess you've always worked together f for this goal, you know, an ambitious one, but one that doesn't feel as if it's just been a hashtag that's transient that could pass. This is actually in your DNA. Would that be fair? Mm. Yeah, that's fair. And what's great is that we do. So the other day I was chatting to dad about how, um, you know, I, I absolutely want to fully embed, um, diversity and inclusion in everything that we do and he said oh interestingly I've got a call with the B team tomorrow morning you should on exactly that topic you should join us and so it's that sort of thing where because you know we talk to each other a lot about the different areas that we're working on and and we both have these different phone calls and we can be like oh dad you should join this one or Holly you should join that one and it's and, it, and it's really great I love I love being on a call with him um that, that was a particularly special one with lots of the B team members um, so I felt very honoured to be a part of that. 
Uh, and um, no, it's, 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 it's great. And we can learn so much from each other. So we've heard what his children think of him. But how does the big man describe himself? Well, Richard is somebody who loves to learn. He sees every minute of every day uh, out of a, a learning learning process. He's very inquisitive. Uh, he has does not know how to say no, so he gets into, into trouble a lot. <laughs> um, uh, he's known as Dr. Yes by his colleagues. Um, he loves adventure, but accepts that he's going to fall flat on his face on occasions, um, or maybe more occasions than he would like. I think he's a family man uh, who... Um, absolutely adores his family. He's lucky enough to have a wonderful collection of friends around him. Um, lucky enough to have chosen a, a, a wonderful mother for his children. Yeah, and I suspect his principal thought in, for his principal thought is uh, is saying yes to it, yes too often. Uh, Sam also said that he thought you were shy, and would you agree with that? And how do you marry that with um, your very sort of public persona? And uh, the sort of king of PR, if you like. Um, I was I was shy. My mum at attempted to take it, you know, to take it away from me. You know, she said shyness was was selfish, and you know, she'd make us stand on the stage and 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 uh, perform in, in front of the family. You know, the first interview I ever did for Radio Four, the Tony Howard was the interviewer, and he sent me two tapes. One tape was All My Errs and Ums, which was longer than the actual tape that they broadcast because he was very kindly spliced out all the errs and ums of the interview. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I had to um, train myself to overcome it. In those days, there wasn't the internet, you know, so the only way you could actually get your company to be well known was to make a fool of yourself, put a pilot's out uniform on if you're launching an airline and, I don't know, just throw yourself wholeheartedly into whatever, whatever I did. And, you know, over time, I managed to over, overcome the shyness and, and I think some people listening to this broadcast will uh, will, <laughs> will laugh with the idea that I could have ever been shy somehow. Shyness, a lack of confidence and a journey of personal growth are all things Sam can relate to as well. I went to do a speech I've done 20 times before to a group of kids and five minutes into the talk I just froze and I basically internally said I've got nothing more to say and I walked off the stage and I was like, what, what's going on? Like, this is just, you know, and that was like really not my confidence and sent me on a bit of a self path the journey, sort of internal journey of like, okay, what happened there? What's going on? And, you know, amongst other things, part of it was that I, I was doing these things, but I wasn't really pursuing, you know, or putting time into something that I knew was my deepest, biggest passion. Um, and I used to watch singers and stuff and it was amazing, but I would also like die inside. I was like, oh God, that's, that's, that's my dream. And I'm not at least trying to do it. And that was a kind of turning point and uh, lots of other personal growth I went on, but the music side, I was like, right. I remember watching something going, I'm never going to be frustrated ever again with music. I'm going to use this as a fuel in which to hone the craft, to, to search for my sound, for my vibe, to, uh to to share what it is that i love with people and that that's been that's been a wonderful journey in the last few years honing the craft and and uh writing songs and collaborating with people and i've now got a, a wonderful bank of music and the first song is the one i wrote after the last time i saw my granny and i'll probably be releasing a new song every sort of five weeks for the next next foreseeable future communication is clearly crucial in everything the family does 
and I asked Richard about a letter he wrote to his children just before one of his dangerous expeditions. Um, I did actually read quite a moving letter that you wrote to Holly and Sam um, that you put in your, your first autobiography when you were back in Marrakesh in, what, in the late 90s. Um, just tell us what, why you felt the need to write that. Did you really think you wouldn't see them again? Obviously, I didn't think that I would never see them again. But um, if you're if you're heading off around the world in a hot air balloon um, and it hasn't been attempted before, it is certainly a possibility that something something could go wrong. And I think it's really important, you know, whether you're young embarking on an adventure like that or old coming near the end of your life, that you communicate, you know, with your children and your friends, sharing some last words. And I wanted to get across to them that you know, that they had a remarkable mum who, who's quite capable of finishing and um, bringing them up. Um, you know, that I hope that they would be adventurous when they grew up as well. And they, you know, as it turned out, I, I'm lucky enough to be around to see them grow up and see them be adventurous and see them striving every year and doing extraordinary things. I now have to watch you know, Sam climbing the Matterhorn and go, go through the pain of you know, not being sure whether he'll come back again and so on. There's been an element of role, role reversal that's taken place. Do you know what? I think this should encourage every parent out there to put pen to paper and send their kids a letter. I think it's yeah. great to share to share that with your kids. Um, and hopefully you'll see them again the next morning. Uh, yeah, Richard, yeah. it has been an absolute pleasure. I've taken up way too much of your time as it is. And I know that you're in hot demand. So thank you so very much. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Natalie. Lovely to talk to you too, as always. Huge thanks then to Richard, Holly and Sam. And you can hear our full unedited conversations because I spoke to them individually for over an hour and I will be releasing those over the next few weeks. Keep your feedback coming in. Please rate, review and subscribe. It's always lovely to have your company and to hear your thoughts. You can still win those Bose noise cancelling headphones too. So make sure you tag a friend to be in with a chance. Thanks again to the Bransons. They remind us all of the vital importance of family in whatever format takes for each of us. Until next week, friends, thank you for listening. We will speak again soon on In The Pink. This week's episode of In The Pink was brought to you by F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme for Formula One. If you want to witness firsthand this epic 2021 battle between Mercedes and Red Bull, then quite simply, there is no better way to do it than with F1 Experiences. They offer access that you simply can't get anywhere else. And as an In The Pink listener, you can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package. Just use the code in the pink, all capital letters, or one word, when checking out online at f1experiences.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.